Hey, Max. Dude, what's happening? We're at it again. Yeah. You know what? This what? is episode 27. Okay. On the way down <laughs> You're here. You're so fucking excited. On the way down yeah, okay. here, I was like, is there any way we can start doing this where I'm remote? Like, can we get the... Oh, you want to do a FaceTime podcast? No, but I want to, like, what if we did a setup where I didn't have to come down here and sit in traffic for 90 minutes and watch a poor, innocent dog on the back of one of those flatbed trucks on the back on the freeway? You know what I'm talking about? Right. And just the kind of like sloshing around back and forth. Yeah, he was running around and it was so dangerous. And the guy was flying. What would happen if that, if he had to hit his brakes or something and that critter just flies into the sky? The, Are they strapped down? No. It's making me nuts. And with that You would have to stop the and car the people, and rescue the dog. And, uh, yeah. Well, I would. I would get out and do that. So I was thinking, I want to do this from home. No. Then I show up. And I meet our guest. We got a and special I'm like, guest. You wouldn't have that dynamic. It wouldn't happen. If I wasn't here and I was some disembodied fuck back in North Hollywood, there'd be no engagement. The whole point of me starting this podcast, because I came to you with the is idea. Is to bring people together. Well, I wanted to bring, I want to be in a room with you. In a room with me. I don't want me. you online. You I don't, don't want, want you on fucking there. Facebook. I don't want you, you in my bathroom. Over- yeah. I don't want you in my bathroom, by the way. What have I ever done to your bathroom? If I. If I make a boom boom in anyone's bathroom, which I rarely do, it's gonna I be, have spritzes. It's true. I have wet wipes. Wet wipes. Yes, you got a, a fucking a garden hose. Yeah, you yeah. want me to uh, boom boom in your? You're the only guy I know who brings his own bidet to a house. It's in my bag I know. downstairs. I know it is. Well, you got to have a clean ass. Cheers, Max. What are we drinking? Oh, this is wonderful. We're drinking some really good wine. You brought along a, a, a Barton Broken Road Vignette from, from Templeton pa- District. I love Templeton. Yeah. That's where. Um, that's where my family, not my family, but my wine family, uh, the Sarzadis are. Remember them? I do remember them. Yeah, they're there. Let's get to the important stuff, dude. Okay. Happy 27th episode. Thank you. Thanks for battling, you know, backseat dogs and fucking... No, now I'm glad I'm here. But, okay. But I was, I was very upset. When I was growing up, teenager, about 15, maybe 16, I met a dude and we bonded on so many things. At the same high school? Uh, we actually never went to high school together. I'm actually two years older than he is. Okay. But we bonded on two very important things when you're 16. Let me guess. Frank Zappa. No, well, <laughs> close. I mean, in the same context. Go ahead. Music and drugs. Music and drugs. We, yes. We uh, listened to a lot of music, and we did a lot of drugs. What drugs did you do? We'll get to that. Okay. Because I did a lot of it with this dude. Oh. And this dude comes from also a very famous family. Right. Let me introduce everybody. To John Agar the third. The third. Wow. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Good pleasure to see to be you, here. Dude. It's a pleasure to be here, man. This is this is John's not drinking wine. Drink. He's drinking Red Bull. He's uh, he's fucking sugar-free Red Bull. Lined he's got up. three lined up. Hey, listen, it's, he's going to be jacked in about ten minutes. I'd like you to, you know, wino ain't afraid of nothing <laughs> except running out of wine, you know. And you kind of look like a young Don Johnson. Have you uh, gotten that? Fuck him, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> God, I, I'll go down to my car and see if I have a white jacket somewhere, a white dinner jacket. I'll just take off the shirt and, you know. But but he is he is charismatic and he does have a great voice. I know and he, he does. he does look like someone that should probably be also on screen. Well, he's also got a million stories. Well, let's go back in time. Let's, let's go back in time. Let me set the context. We met through a mutual friend. We both had a friend named Alan. And Alan was my best friend. Alan knew John. So through Alan, I met John. And we bonded very quickly. And... You know, I didn't know about John's famous dad and, and all the Hollywood stuff. I just knew the dude was cool, and he had a lot of drugs. 
So <laughs> he brought me into his little bubble, and uh, in his bubble I stayed for a, for a while. And um, we did a lot of stuff, which we will get to, but I want to I want to get his backstory. John Agar the first. Is your dad the first? No, actually, he's a junior. So oh, he's a junior. His father was John Agar I, the okay. first. All right. And yeah, and so John Agar Jr., but he just went by John Agar because his father died when he was relatively young. I oh. think my dad was about 12 and his father passed. All right. So I never okay. met my grandfather ever on oh. my father's side. Right. I know where he's buried. Yeah. And he's not going anywhere. He's still there. <laughs> he can go say hi. <laughs> exactly. Um, your dad, John Agar, was a fairly famous actor in the 40s and 50s or just 50s? 40s. Well, I mean, I think once you're a famous actor in the 40s, you're a famous actor until the day you die. Mm-hmm. So technically, he was a famous actor. Right. And he started his career in the 1940s. Okay. But he actually, it's kind of an interesting story to that, actually. My grandmother, who is actually, she's relatively you know, related to a fairly famous person as well. My grandmother was Lillian Rogers, and she was actually a, a first or second, co- I think second cousin to Will Rogers. Wow. Of Will Rogers, you know. Yeah. Wiley Post. Never Will met Rogers. a guy I didn't like. And, and never oh. go flying with a fucker either. Right. But at any rate. <laughs> so, yeah. So my, fa- my uh, grandmother's uh, husband passed away. She was a widow. And she moved. She inherits the family business, which was a meat packing company in Chicago. And they move to Beverly Hills, and she buys the house next door to the Temple family. And so my aunt, Joyce, goes to school with Shirley Temple, and my father, who was several years older than her, actually hooks up and meets Shirley Temple as the girl next door. Really? Yeah. But at this time, Shirley Temple, because she started so young, she was... She star. was relatively oh, She was one of the most famous in the world child actresses of all time. So she so was in her. She was famous at this time when you're, she's living next door to your your dad. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. So where was I? Were we talking about Shirley him Temple or? and your dad? Shirley Temple and my dad. So interesting story again. This is great. You're like Hollywood, you know, Hollywood uh, legend shit. So my fa- my father ends up going to the U.S. Army and U.S. Army Air Corps. He's a physical constructor. When he comes back. Uh, my aunt's in school and Shirley are their friends and uh, my father's just kind of hanging out around the house at the time so a guy by the name of David Oselznik who's the famous producer who did Gone with the Wind was trying to pick up on my grandma at the time who was a rich widow living in Beverly Hills next Mm -hmm. door to the temples was she kind of hot too? And she was a, she was a good looking lady for right. for her day, but she's my grandmother. So yeah. let's not even go there. All but right. at any rate, you <laughs> well, know, you know, you know, I mean, what the what the hell? So the the the, the long and short of it is that Selznick's trying to pick up on Grandma. Grandma wants no part of it. Um, my dad's hanging around the house because he just got out of the military, like 1946 or whatever. And he's putting the, you know, he's like the cock block for fucking the Selznick. So <laughs> Selznick says, hey, what are you going to do with your life? And my father just really wanted to be a golfer or something. He's just a full-time bum and live off grandma's money, which I would have loved anyway. <laughs> but he, he gets in touch with, I guess, so Selznick says, hey, you know what? You ought to be an actor. You're a good-looking guy. So he sends him to New York, and he ends up rooming with uh, several other actors, but Kirk Douglas was one of them, and they oh, room wow. and they do... Uh, he does uh, summer stock and all this stuff, and he's training. And Selznick's trying to put the move on Grandma for this whole year, and she's not having it. She's not having anything to do with it. So he gets back and uh, comes back to L.A., 
and nothing really happens because Selznick's not getting the juice from Grandma. And uh, um, <laughs> so uh, she ends up taking a freaking cruise to Hawaii, my grandmother, and she meets John Ford's wife, the director, the Western director. And my old man... Uh, not doing anything, he's hanging at the house, and she's talking to him, and she's really bad-mouthing Oselznik and talking the whole story, and the long and short is is that John Ford's wife says, you know what, your son sounds like a nice guy, good-looking kid, and you're a great lady. When you get back, we'll see if we can put a screen test together, and, he, and she did, and so the, my father ends up going fresh out of the U.S. Army Air Corps. It was the Army Air Corps at the time. It was no Air Force. Uh, goes into, I believe, uh, you know, Culver City Studios, studios in Culver, and does a screen test with John Ford. And uh, John Ford was famous Navy guy. And my old man walks in and uh, um, he goes, so, you know, like, so you blah, blah, blah. I heard the whole story here. Let's do this test. He goes, so, you're in the air farce, huh? <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah. He goes, I hear you're in the Navy. You know, anchors away, sink. And he's just like, no one had ever had the balls to go up against Ford like that, ever. Right. And one thing led to another. And before you know it, uh, my old man is getting cast in John Ford's wow. Western Ford Apache. Wow, first, classic. First film opposite Henry Fonda and John Wayne. Wow, and Absolutely. he falls into it. There's no acting classes. There's no working a waiter as a waiter trying to have every audition come. There was some acting classes. Oh, was there? But, that was but, New it, was York, the, right? yeah, but it was the cock block for Selznick. He, <laughs> he was trying to put the moves Maybe like that's grandma. the secret. You so need to be was, a cock block for somebody. But well, dad was it. training while living in New York, correct? Right. But he, yeah. but he had no, but he, and he came back or yeah. whatever. But he had no, like, literally, it's kind of like, it's just a family, whatever. It's right. just, if, you, if you live next door to a plumber, he might have ended up, you know, right. unplugging the sink or right. something, right? It's just one or, luck of the draw. Exactly. God, there's so nothing like good karma. Yeah, that's, so that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the family story. That's what I was told. It's and then, cool. of course, in between there, um, my aunt, my aunt Joyce, his sister, went to school with Temple, uh, Shirley, and they started to date, and they saw this big uh, Hollywood jumped in and saw this. And so Selznick ended up doing personal management for my old man, and put him into the film, and then they eventually started to work together, and they produced their wedding and all this other crap, and, wow. and they were married, I guess, for five years. And Very cool. You know, did yeah. they have kids? Anything? Yeah, yeah. My, they yeah, they had uh, one daughter named Linda Sue Temple. Oh, wow. Or Agar. And okay. then Linda Susan. And, and you then, have a brother. And I have a brother. And What's so, his name? Martin. Martin David. But you yourself, you're adopted. Well, so was my... Well, here, it's even more complicated. <laughs> ah, there you go. The multi-layers yeah, of John Agar. Multi-layers, Agar, the third. yeah. So, yeah. Um, my mom, who raised me, who I consider my mom, my soul, Loretta Barnett, she married my father after she, he divorced Shirley. She actually was also famous in her own right. My mother was actually in the movie Citizen Kane. No way. Yeah. I didn't know she was an actress. She was. She actually worked with uh, Betty Grable as well. Cool. And toured with Grable in World War II. Did movies with Cesar Romero, Betty Grable, something, you know, schlep fest in the Rockies. I can't remember (laughs) what it was. But anyway, so she had a Hollywood background, dancing and all this. And um, so... She was unable to have children, so in 1958, they went to Texas and they adopted my brother, and in 1964, my aunt, who knew some doctor or something in Glendale, said, you know, hey, there happens to be this other child, and my, by this time, my mother's born in 21, 31, she was like 43 years old, and they're like, you know, 
no way. And something my mom said, you know what? There's a, there's a young girl. She's had a child and she's going to have a child soon. And will you guys adopt him? And they had no intention of adopting me. And my mom said she picked up the phone and her sister called again and said, so Loretta, what are you going to do? And she goes, we'll do it. And it was like one of those things. So right. here I am, I get adopted um, from, and then I'll go back. I actually know my birth. I knew my birth mother and my birth father. I knew who he was. I'll get into that if you give me $5. But uh, um, so, you know, imagine this. I go from, you know, being put up for adoption, being adopted by, you know, not only you know, a famous actor, but given the name, the third, you know, being That's given what the I was exact ask. same name. Your brother didn't get the name you got. It. Exactly, which makes no sense, but, you know. It's a little weird, right? It is weird. They skipped the first child. That is and strange. Gave because you, and maybe John Agar the second, Agar the second, was like, no, he, he's not worthy of the name. Right. But once this kid came along, <laughs> yeah, here he is. This there little is. cute guy comes. This is number three. He's now maybe more my son than the other guy. Yeah. Is that kind of true? Nah, oh, I, mean, I you know okay. who knows. Listen, you know, is your brother a load? My brother's an amazing guy. Good. Actually, my Good. brother. You guys are my, close. Extremely close. Good. Even though I fucking hated him half my life, I love him now so wow. much I would die from it. I think that happens with age. Yeah. But mm. my father, the real strange thing is my father and my brother were very close growing up, very tight, golfing, just all sorts of, you know, things that they were mutual. Right. But you were and too young I to wasn't. do that. No, I just wasn't into it. Okay. I've never been a big sports fan or anything like that. So I was, you know, close to my mom, and my mom had a fucking great group of really eclectic, artistic friends and mm-hmm. shit, and I hung out with them, and so that was it, bonded. But of course, as time goes on, you know, I bonded extremely well with my father, and right. got real close, and, you know. Growing up, did you do a lot of what all the Hollywood kids do? Did you go, you know, hang yeah, out with a lot of Hollywood blow. parties, <laughs> and, you know, premieres, and, yeah, we you know, Cary yeah, Grant we, comes over for dinner, and... Not quite Cary Grant, but you know, we have definitely. I Ernest mean, Borgnine, maybe. Definitely, um, I've met Ernest before. Uh, definitely did a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, you got to remember the thing about you know my father's career. It was really huge in the '40s and '50s. Then he kind of he was on contract with Universal. Did a lot of what become now iconic, legendary films. Uh, he was uh, Clint Eastwood was his understudy wow. at Universal. So Clint Eastwood's very first film role of ever was a bit part, and it was either forgive me here, my film friends are going to be. <laughs> it was either Revenge of the Creature, The Black Lagoon, which yeah. was the second in the series, or it was Tarantula, and I can't. But it was one or the other, and that was his first role. And so, um, yeah. And that's when I start to get excited about his father's, your father's career. Because when I was reading about John Agar, the actor, right. John's dad, yeah. I started to see all the films, and I had these really surreal flashbacks. Because I'm a horror junkie. Uh, not so much sci-fi, but I, I know was, there were a lot of B-movies. Yeah, I was just a junkie, but no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you got to stop saying just kidding. You're so funny. And then when you say just kidding, I can gravitate to your no, I don't, sensibility. I don't care. You got to cut that out. Okay, I'll stop it. Stop that. So... It brought me back to when I used to go over, uh, my mom would dump me off at my grandma and grandpa's house. Grandma's upstairs in a coma. My granddad's working insurance all day. He comes home with a you know 12-case pack of Budweiser's. We hit the couch all night long. I have no bedtime. It's just these old black and white movies. I'm telling you, I saw the mold people multiple times. I saw Revenge of the Creature of the Black Lagoon. I saw Tarantula until the wee hours, until the sun was coming up. Right. I was never told to go to bed. And he would just drink Budweiser's until he was out. 
You know, God, what I mean? that's exactly how I viewed them for the first time. Late night television true? with nonstop Budweiser. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, you mentioned Mole People. Mole People's fucking amazing. He did that movie with Hugh Beaumont, who, if you, you recall, was uh, Beaver. Leave it to Beaver's oh, dad. Okay. Yeah, Wally might. and the Beaver. Right. Ward. God. Ward Cleaver. And in wow. that film, I guess I think one of the Carradines was in it. I think John Carradine might have wow. been in it. But at one point, I love that movie, especially as I was in my uh, 20s. And enjoying a lot of hallucinogens, and in that movie, they're actually feeding them <laughs> mushrooms. And I'm thinking about, <laughs> and I'm on mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, <laughs> watching my dad with Ward Cleaver eating freaking mushrooms. mushrooms. Now, wow. yeah. See, if you wonder why I'm fucking slightly <laughs> twisted, or I apologize, and I'm just kidding a lot, is because. I, I have a disconnect between reality and fantasy and... Life is better whatever. that I have way. A, yeah. I have a, I know. You grew I up a in a stri- very surreal bubble. It's <laughs> perfect. Yes, yes. I, I remember a very early age. I, you know, there's certain things and events you know, we remember in our lifetime. I'm too young to remember Kennedy because I wasn't alive yet. Right. But I'm completely, totally on top of the Apollo the moon landing. I remember that as if it was yesterday. I remember watching that on a small TV when my we lived, our family lived in Studio City, California, and I remember it well. And that same that same neuron path, that same pathway in my brain. I remember sitting in our living room in Studio City and looking at my dad sitting in his chair, and he used to have a pewter mug that he would drink iced tea. He loved iced tea, and he drink iced tea out of a pewter mug. So a big silver pewter mug. And I remember looking at him, and there's my dad, you know? And then I'm looking on the fucking TV, and shit, there's my dad. Mm-hmm. And wow. he's <laughs> doing stuff on TV, you know? And I'm like, wow. And right there, I had this strange, there was this epiphanous moment where, you know, there was a, a you know, mass, uh, like a deep insight and a deep confusion all simultaneously, much like most of my life. Right. <laughs> well, that, that, did he explain to you? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I remember to this day, I remember he'd, he'd be looking, and here he is, I think he's like on the Virginian, and he's, you know, whipping some Indians or doing some fucking horrific gunfighting <laughs> or, you know, whatever, or saving some town or whatever it was. Whatever. But he'd say, oh, yeah, son, that's make-believe. And I'm thinking, shit, you know, make-believe. That's on TV. And here, remember... Oh, that's all make-believe. This is the same time I'm watching the same era where I watched the moon landing. Make-believe. You would think I would grow up to be like one of those moon landing deniers. Right. But, you, you know, know, I believe we went A flat earther or something. Yeah, I, I believe we... I've been on too many plane trips to not even be a flat earther, too. Okay. But <laughs> at any rate, yeah, that was, it was very surrealistic. Listen, if, if I'm going to say anything, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories of that time frame and of that era is that there was an old show, and every, everybody, anybody here in the room or listening, you guys even might remember the old show, there was a guy named Bob Barker. Sure. And we all know him from Price is Right. Yeah. And, but before that, he had shows on TV. One of them was called Truth or Consequences. I remember that one, too. Black and white. Okay. Yeah, back in the day. And I guess uh, my father and him were, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, my, if my father hadn't became an actor, he probably would have became a golfer. My father was one hell of a golfer. And, you know, I never could understand the fucking game. I'm a lot like George Carlin. It's like, you got the fucking ball, pick it up, put it in your pocket. There's a great freaking club over here. Beautiful <laughs> drinks, 25 bourbons. Yeah. Let's go there. Yeah. yeah. So at any rate, I never got it. But I'll never forget this. This is my, I love this story. I'm going to make myself laugh. 
I remember we're in the living room again, and my mom's out doing her thing, and there's, a, and there's some big fancy car pulls up on the driveway. Big old fucking boat. These, you know, if anybody remembers those days, cars were made out of 48 tons of steel. I mean, they were <laughs> fucking huge. You could live in these things. Pulls up. Some guy walks out of the car. I recognize him. He's wearing the fucking loudest, most obnoxious plaid golf outfit you've ever seen. Like something out of Caddyshack. Worse than, you know, Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack. And the guy wa- start walking up the step. My father kind of peeks out the drape. Total, just like a sitcom thing. And he goes, oh. He goes, son. And here I am. I'm had to be five, six years old. He goes, son, tell the man at the door that I'm not home. And I remember, okay. And I'm knocking on the door. And I open the door, and he goes, hello, young man. Is your father home? And I look Bob Barker right in the eye, and I say, my dad told me to tell you that he's not here. (laughs) (laughs) Total fuck up. That's anyway. I remember that. The funny thing is, I remember this. You you asked me about celebrities and people I've met. I've met hundreds of celebrities in social situations with my parents. The funny thing is, that's one of the things I remember. Another thing I remember had nothing to do with my father. One time I was uh, drinking and had one of my many drinking accidents in Burbank, California, and I was at St. Joseph's Hospital, and I'm getting a hand set. I actually had broken a hand. I'm having my hand set. I still, they did a terrible job. I should have sued them. But I'm standing there holding my hand, and all of a sudden there's kind of a little rush flash at the door, and it's like, ah, somebody famous is coming in. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm six foot three and i'm standing a pretty tall guy all of a sudden this thing bumps into my knees and i freaking look down and who the fuck is it it's herve villages tattoo <laughs> from fantasy island wow. and he looks right up at me and i'm looking down at him and he goes he grabs his stomach and he goes ah oh my stomach and i'm like <laughs> oh my god and i'm like i'm just telling you these little surreal things imagine this i go to bed at night and i think of the past and i have fucking bob barker and hervey village has sort of hovering around these epic memories of my old man wow <laughs> how frightening it makes is you that? want to do drugs I, yes Wow. What, wow. Doesn't, what doesn't make you want to fucking really? do drugs? Well, that's you? actually, I was going to springboard off that. That's, those are amazing stories. And it's amazing <laughs> to see you grow up, you know, you're five and you're telling Bob Barker to fuck off. And, uh, <laughs> Which is essentially it. I thought that was <laughs> pretty much. You should have said, you can stay if the price is right. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, um, I guess you got to fast forward like 10 years. You know, you, you grow up, you go to junior high school. Then I kind of meet you. I meet you through a mutual friend, and I didn't know who your dad was. When I met him, he was kind of an older man. He must have been in his 60s when I came. Oh, I mean, he was born in 1921. So Right, yeah. So now figured. we're talking what, like we're, early 70s now? Yeah, so I guess he was in we're talking 50s. 70s, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he was always very nice to me, but I have to admit, I, always, I didn't really know what really drunk was at that time, but I always, I always thought that he was kind of always, you know, on something when I met him. You know, he was always seemed to be a little sloshy in a way. That's interesting. You know, so my really father, nice. My father's a recovering alcoholic really? for 45 years. Because I don't then know why does it say on Wikipedia that he got into all these bad drunk driving accidents? 1940s. He had, oh. he had one in the 1940s. So when I knew him, he was not drinking. No, he wasn't not at all. drinking. Interesting. 
because yeah. that's the impression I got. Because I assumed that maybe there was he was a darkness just tired. There. I don't like, know. Maybe he was sleepy. You know, I never met Charles Black, but I imagine that fucker after Marion Shirley might have been fucked up too. I'm right. just, <laughs> I'm just, right. I'm just saying, you might have met Charles right. Black. Oh, hi, Mister Black, and he goes, "Hell, what's right. up there, young yeah. fella?" Right. right. I don't know. No, I don't but know. My he was always really nice. But he, him and your mom were. But this is me really like, good news really to nice. hear because my perception was we're going to get to some tragedy with. The, the drunk driving and I was comparing it to when you were having accidents here's the amazing here's the amazing thing about that that like listen Robert Downey Jr. the guy fucking shoots heroin yeah. does blow ends up in some fucking kids room in Malibu Crazy. and you know it's like it's great it's like yeah he goes to Betty yeah. Ford and right. it's fantastic you get a second chance and it's, it's excellent it's right. like no big deal back in those days right. the, just the like the, I want to call it like the pre-Victorian mm. you know I don't know, just the, the moral compass right. of the Where time. The, the image had to be so pure. The moral compass of the time. For one thing, think about this. For better or worse, my father drank being with Shirley Temple. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been with some women in my life that were a little spoiled, and I can only imagine what it would have been like being married to a woman who was given like one of the largest diamonds who hung out with heads of state was doted over her whole life. Ruinous. I can only imagine. It would be ruinous. I can only imagine what that would have been like. My father was You're kind right. of a sloshy, simple Midwestern guy, man. Right. He was a guy from Chicago. Yeah. He was a U.S. Army Air Corps physical instructor. He was a... You know, he wasn't he wasn't a rocket scientist. He was just a simple right. sort of salt of the earth guy. And he guy. wasn't Mr. Hollywood either. It wasn't what he aspired to be. Right. So I can only imagine what that would have been like. But um, I guess so he I, was a good dad to you, though. My it sounds like he my was father a great was, dad to you. My father and mother were like amazing. They were I really mean, nice people. This they, is spectacular, man. Yeah. I I, I wish I. Well, I don't wish. I mean, it's like I don't. Uh, there's a lot of shit that I did and put them through in my right, lifetime, right. and. It would be nice maybe to have an excuse. Of course, I don't lean on excuses anymore, but I'm just saying, oh, yeah, they beat me. They put me in a closet. Yeah. They made me watch yeah. episodes of the Virginian over and <laughs> over <laughs> or whatever. No, they were We had really, to watch Gunsmoke for 10 I will, hours. I will say this. They got me, and I'm definitely, well, I'm not too introverted, obviously, yeah. and I'm not small, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not quiet. And I can only imagine what it had been like to have these two kind of, like, literally... You know, Ward and June Cleaver. Yeah, they yeah. were literally like leaving yeah. and, you know, a little older to have me. I mean, a complete fucking psycho. I mean, I was, I was a psychopath. As, as, as Lorenzo says, yeah. here we were. You know, how did you meet the guy? Well, I'm two years older, the guy, and John brings some drugs to yeah. the party. Like, hey, man, it's like, you know, they always, say, they always say, like, hey, you know, we really don't want you hanging out with that boy. You know, it's yeah. like, and, I, and a lot of the time I look back and think, wow, man, I was that boy. Like, I was the one, you don't want your kid hanging out with me. Because I'm the one that goes, hey, you know what? Like, look look at that, uh, you know, look at that state. Hey, let's, let's go throw some lemons at were that you, boss. Were you, you know? a grimy, long-haired bad boy? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I went. You were the bad seed a little bit but yeah. at the same token though i think i've always had a pretty good heart i just literally just always been a bit of a. Uh, you know listen i went to private school originally growing up and you know st michael's Valley? episcopalian academy yeah. right next yeah. to harvard boys okay. uh, and i just remember um at a very early age just knowing uh, just a lot of the 
the hypocrisy and the bullshit. Just, you know, I grew up to, to watching the Nixon Watergate thing. I just, yeah. just kind of knew that, you know, you see that, you know, drugs were, I remember they brought a big thing of drugs to the school, that the private school that I was at. And they're going, you know, what whiff of this marijuana cigarette will turn you into a raving maniac. And then I meet this hot freaking blonde chick and she's like smoking this marijuana cigarette and doing things with her you know lips i've never seen since but anyway i mean and you just you just see this hypocrisy so i think i've always had a bit of a rebellious thing to me and the one thing is that even just physical space when i met you you know they had a really nice house in north hollywood but there was a pretty cool guest house in the back yeah where you could just do your own thing and no one and that's where you hung out you had the guest house in the back. Oh, dear Lord. And that was like a breeding ground. With his for, own separate entrance? For, oh, yeah. For yeah. debauchery. Which, which yeah. was... Which, uh, so you're, which, you're 15, 16 with your own private entrance oh, and your own little guest house? That's all A lot of, of shit happens in famous, that room. Famously known as the black door. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I went through the black door for many nights of... Uh, Wow. Definitely. Harrowing some, shit. Some shit definitely yeah. went down there. But, you know, that's another thing. It's like, listen, I'm 55 right now, okay? And, and, and I'm just telling you, um, if, if I had to watch a kid of any age, it'd be like, look, I'd watch them leave the house. I, I, I just really don't have time to fuck with you. It's, it's <laughs> kind of like, look, you know, look, you know don't, don't, don't set yourself on fire. Don't kill anybody. You know, call me if you're in jail. I, I just feel like my parents just, like I said, they didn't. It wasn't that there were, it's just they were too old at that point. Like, listen, they go to bed at 10 o'clock. I'm getting up at 11 o'clock. It's like, whatever. So I can imagine that, you know. Are you a father? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So how many kids do you have? I'd rather not talk. I have, I have a daughter and I just rather, and a oh, granddaughter. Sure, sure. No, no, I just rather leave them out of it. Leave them out of it. Leave them, leave out, them out of it. Leave them out of it. I just didn't know if there was going to be a John Agar the fourth. That's all. Not, not that we know of. Okay, okay. Not legally. <laughs> Not that anybody's actually owning up to. You want some more of that? I do. I need some more wine. Yeah, imagine this. I'm doing this without drinking. You know, imagine what I did drinking. And I drank, you know, my father got a rap for, for uh, oh, I was on that drunk driving thing about him. Back then, we were talking publicity, and that's the thing. In this day, he marries Shirley Temple, America's sweetheart. For whatever reason, they divorce. Right. Well, you can imagine some people were not very happy about that. And no matter what happened, if she was the fucking raging bitch or if he was the complete psycho, alcoholic, madman, didn't matter. There was some real political shit that went down. And one thing happened when my father had his drunk driving, not only, and you read about it online, when he had the drunk driving... It was turned on him to politically kind of screw him, to publicly That's screw fucked. him. Wow. And there's pictures of my father at Wayside Honor Ranch, which is Wayside jails to this day, but it was an honor ranch back then, whatever, on a shit tractor. <laughs> like, literally, yeah. like, how, like, look at this movie star on back of, you know, manure tractor. He could never work again oh, because boy. he drove a tractor in poop. I mean, <laughs> it's like, he's, he can't fight fake aliens and Gilman in a tub no more. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, you can't fake, you know, fight artificial spiders in the desert. Right. I mean, come on, Total man. smear campaign. It's wow. just kind of a screwed up thing. So, you know, needless to say, uh, my father's career took some hits on right. that, but he, he maintained his working wow. relationship for years. As a matter of fact, uh, later, in, later in, in years, I got to kind of go and hang out with him on some of the sets, and he worked with some fucking great people. As a matter of fact, one of the best experiences I had, uh, 
probably around 1990-ish, was my old man did a thing with John Carpenter, the director, Ooh. was a huge fan of my father's. He's actually, it was like actually even in talks of doing a remake of The Creature and had talked to my father about wow. it, doing something. But what he did do was he made a trilogy for Showtime called Body Bags. And part of the trilogy, David Cronenberg, Roger Corman, and I forget, forgive me, there's another director. They all wanted to be in it. My father played a doctor who does an eye surgery, puts, a, puts an eye from a convicted murderer into a professional baseball player. And I got to go on the set of this movie. The professional baseball player was played by Mark Hamill. Oh, cool. So my father worked with Mark, and I got to hang out and go to a party at That's Carpenter's so house and meet Mark Hamill. I actually sat with Mark after, uh, this is in between, after the first three Star Wars and in between now, and just hang out in fucking John Carpenter's backyard and just have a meal with him. We just have drinks and a meal and just... Hang out. It was just a nice, great guy. I think back today, I should have had him signing every fucking inch of my body. <laughs> right. And, and mimeographing Every but, movie poster you But it find. was great. That was one thing. Then he did another thing. He did a thing called Fear with Ali Sheedy, who was big in the Brat Pack, you know, and he did another yeah, movie where, was a big where my father plays like a, a serial killer. And at 70 freaking years old, he takes a shotgun blast, special effects, and does it him fucking self. Right. Cracks two ribs and goes and takes another take. Wow. He does another film with a, with a director by the name of Steve DeJarnay. He did a film called Cherry 2000 with Melanie Griffith called Miracle Mile. And the movie was with stars Ant- film. Anthony Edwards and yeah. Mir Wenningham. My father plays. And my, fa- and my father plays Ivan, the oh grandfather. God. Yeah. Oh, and I absolutely remember. That, if you haven't seen that. I want to revisit I have all not. these films. I want to see now. that one. Lorenzo, if you haven't seen that, I have because not. my father's a little older then, right. but you right. got to see that because it's that's. He was a, a badass. Very intense, surreal. Interesting film. cat. Wow. With Interesting. A, with an apocalyptic ending. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then he did another film called Nightbreed. With right. Craig Sheffer. Yes. Where yes. he gets tied up with Christmas lights <laughs> and set on fire or some shit. But it's like, so he had all these parts, he had these roles all the way up until And are the you time thinking, you know, my dad, and I love him so much, but he, he's a badass. My dad is this really cool badass guy. You know, when you really say it that way, my father, fortunately, for whatever reason, didn't beat me senseless growing up. But my father was a physical instructor in the U.S. Army Air Corps. Really? A physical instructor. Not so like in other a words, drill sergeant kind of guy. Like a drill sergeant. Really? He's the guy that's physically making sure that you can rip the fucking head off wow. the enemy yeah, when he's yeah. taking your yeah. gun and your he bayonet. He was so docile and sweet when I knew him. My father was... A badass. Yeah, I mean, badass in the sense that he was physically bad. Right. But by my dad, God, was the most just calm, peaceful, just nice guy. But I think that's what comes when you're a badass. You don't need to act like a badass. If you really can... Right. If you are a badass, right. you don't need to, I'll come here, pilgrim. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Well, he, he wasn't insecure. He saying, knew who he was. Nah, but yeah, he, cool. was a, he was a good guy, man. He was just, uh, yeah. I'm, That's great. I'm so grateful to have had parents like them. Well, probably gave you the basis to be where you are now, given a lot of the uh, avenues that you went down after, you know, let's be honest. We were friends for like three, four years, like, I don't know. 15 to 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. I went off to college and I actually sort of I got out of drugs. We did a lot of drugs, but and we yeah. shared. Are that we going to find out what the fucking drugs are? Is well, it everything? Well, we did some coke and we did we did some pills, mostly a lot of pot, a lot and of hash. Pot. 
taste it. Are you still enjoying the benefits of cannabis now in California? Well, you know, I could enjoy it. Listen, I don't drink or smoke do so drugs anymore. So you don't anymore. do anything? I don't do anything, no. But he went into it after I left and I gave it up to be, I wanted to be a, I couldn't play drums on it. Right. And I realized if I keep on doing drugs, I'm not going to be a good musician, so I better quit. So I did that. I quit. John didn't. And then he, we kind of parted ways. I went off to college and I got really into music and, you know, it was nothing personal. We just kind of didn't have the drug thing in common, but you can tell your story, uh, you know. Yeah, I want to know. Simple. You, you, Look, you sort of it's, went it's, down it's, it's a, real, a different road. My thing is real simple. I, I at, uh, in around the 1981, 82, during the Colombian crime wave, right? Don Johnson's show, right? During the, uh, hey, do I look like, we need a camera here. Do I look like a young Doc Johnson? Holy shit. Anyway. Um, <laughs> do you see Don Johnson? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> not even close. Like, you look like my Uncle Morty, so you know, shut the <laughs> hell up. You know. Maybe. I didn't, I didn't know saying you look like Don Johnson. Not at all. Insult. No, maybe a little Don Knotts, but that's right. it. So, God, I just I had a total, that laugh is insane. I, I thought Chester Cheetah was sneaking up <laughs> on me for a minute. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent, yes. So, go on. Okay, uh, th- th- there we go. So, my drug thing sort of started during the Colombian crime wave, right? What happened, just real simple. Uh, we did some blow. I think when we did blow, when we were growing up, 16, 78, it was about 100, 120 a gram. Well, and we had no money. Some, yeah, we had no money. We had to steal money <laughs> out of purses and whatever. Wow. Yeah. So, whatever. Anyway, what happened in my story is that I all of a sudden, at around the same time when Coke was running really good cocaine, and not this benzene washed shit, but this Peruvian flake, ether washed, amazing medical chemistry of God, cocaine was coming in and I was getting it at like one third the cost. I was able to get bulk at one third. And, you know, being a kind of a fucking son of the son of an old Hollywood actor and a bit of a fuck up and a bit of a rebel at heart, I thought being a Coke dealer would be a really great uh-huh. thing. Uh, I entrepreneurial th- work. Okay. I thought that would be a great idea. Yes. So I'm going to be a businessman. Needless <laughs> to say, there was a time that it really worked well, but it started off my sort of, you know, my relationship with drugs and alcohol, which, you know, look, it's quite frankly, look, I, I consider myself a recovering addict. Some people, eight out of 10 people can do things, right? And it doesn't affect them. Two out of 10 have like an allergy or have something else going on. And I just happen to be one of those two out of 10. For a lot of years, drug and alcohol were like the solution to, to all my problems, not the cause. Like they, they were actually, I used drugs to numb another part of my head that like they, so I wouldn't say they were a problem. I had the problem and I just become one of these people that just can't drink or use. But it, you know, I had, I had some springboards there. Like I said, I was uh, getting massive amounts of cocaine in the eighties and you guys all know the stories. It was uh, the Reagan era, just say no, but everybody was high and, right. you know, it was like, listen, I grew up in the Valley and, you know, one thing led to another. As time went on, I would tap dance in and out of different professional endeavors, which I've done well. I mean, I've worked for some, you know, technical companies and, you know, technology and broadcast television control and so on and so forth. But I always, I always had this pattern of fucking things up. Mm. And I'd look around me and I'd go, why did I, why are things screwed up? Like, this doesn't happen to so-and-so and this doesn't happen to so-and-so. It was really, it came down to a point in my life where I realized 
I derailed myself at critical points in my life, and it was usually due to large amounts of coke or opiates or alcohol or whatever, or just inappropriate timing. See, the one thing is somebody normal has a good sense of timing. Sit down with a friend, have a little podcast, drink a little wine, hang out. Whereas an addict goes, hey, it's 2 in the morning, and, you know, I got to be at work at 8 a.m., but there's a half a pound of fucking cocaine over here. It's right. like, what are we going to do? And so that's, that's my story. Just at some point. Um, you you were know, functional, but you fucked up every job you highly had. Highly functional, but at some point it becomes dysfunctional. And as I've come to kind of find out that I'm wired, most addicts, alcoholics are kind of wired differently. We're wired differently in the way we think, the way we feel, the way we emotionally process things. And for a lot of years, the solution to me, my problem, was the drugs. I could use enough drugs to get me high. I could use enough drugs to mellow me out. I could keep do the right balance or the right chemistry set, you know, solution to keep me numb or do you follow? I do. But at some point that stops working. You right. put so much it's I, I equate my You think you can have a balance. He's but doing you really amazing can't. handwork, by the way. Yes. I I he equate is. I equate my drug use. Right. He could be a rapper, actually. I equate my drug use to the old Disneyland ticketing system. Does anybody remember like a, this? You were where on you an E to, ticket all the time. Where right? you used to have E A B yeah. A ticket is like where you walk in, you know, some guy kicks you in the fucking side of the head. You know, B ticket gets a little better as you progress. I've just kind of ran out. At some point I ran out of my E tickets. It stopped being functional. And it started to where the drugs actually was what you see with a lot of people. The drugs actually started to drive me down. It was really clear that, you know, I was smoking opium and just doing all sorts of crazy shit. It was real clear that one day I just woke up and realized, hey, you know, the reason you're divorced, the reason you don't get along or the reason you, you know, you get fired is this shit that you did when you were fucked up or you know what I mean? And at some point I realized that there wasn't the world doing anything to me and that you know, there was something I was doing to myself. And so I went, I found the solution. I mean, I found, you know, I, I sought treatment and I stayed in treatment. Not that I hadn't been exposed to treatment many times in my life. There is, listen, I've had some legal things happen to me. My parents would throw me in a feckin' fancy rehab. I'd beat the legal thing, I'd come out. Same thing, kind of a dance in and out. But God willing, I'm very happy. These last uh, nine, nine and a half years now, I'm very pleased. That's great. And you're alive. You didn't you know, have a heart attack, a stroke, and you didn't OD. So nine and a half years ago, you were done with all of it. Well, that's, yeah, that's you how it came out the other side. Is that through yeah. therapy? We did, did you finally nah, have a rehab center that clicked? I went to a rehab center, and I fucking actually did what I was told. Okay, I had so been you to finally some, took it seriously. I, yeah, I'd been to some of the best in the world, and I never did what I was told. I finally did what I was told. There's an old saying that says, I became sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And I just changed everything. But not until, and like I said, I didn't think I would talk about it much, but I guess it's, you know, like I say, I ended up, um, literally dancing with every aspect of drug abuse from the fun and the socially cool, like a couple lines and some clubbing, to literally injection. I mean, I did everything. I fucking did everything. I've literally been, I've been in jail. I've been arrested. I've had, you know, luckily I never did any long, serious time, but I had had a lot of experiences, um, some assault charges, just had some really wild things, had some charges happen to me that could have landed me in jail for long-term time and was lucky enough to beat them, having to do with substances, you know, possession, sales, so on. Wow. Yeah. Sounds but, like if you had nine lives, I think seven are used up. 
as I said, <laughs> you're the, on two. As now. I said, like the e tickets, I've got, yeah. and I've pulled all the damn e tickets out of my book, wow. and I'm lucky. But yeah, but, but it's great know, that you're at this place now at you know, like 55 years old. Yeah, you're, you're in a good place. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, listen, I'm here right now. I mean, that's that's the what the real key to everything is. I'm in the moment. I live for the now. I'm like yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here. I live in the present. That's why we call it a gift. That's it's very like zen. Today. That's a very good place to be. Uh, is, is there zen. a darkness inside you? Do you go about life like highs and lows still without the crutch? If you keep looking at me like that, I'm going to slap the shit out of you. Oh, no. <laughs> Max. <laughs> Not at all, man. No, no, no. I, it's, no. I, I Obviously, listen, we already kind of talked about when you got fucking Bob Barker in your face yeah. at five years old. <laughs> You're going to be a little off kilter. When, you, right. when your father was fucking married to Shirley Temple and was starring with fucking Henry Fonda and John Wayne yeah. when he was 26, and you're at the supermarket, some pretty decent little lady comes running up, grabbing on your dad's pant leg, you know, and it, it throws things off. So being an addict, I guess, you know, I guess, like I say, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that it's, as I said before, the problem that existed in me existed prior to the drugs or alcohol that the drugs and alcohol i used over the course of my life were the things that i used to to control my symptoms right they were the they were the measure that controlled it they controlled me like and like when i say like because i had such extremes of anger or extremes of depression or whatever right. it might have been i used them to balance me out so when you ask me if I'm darker, probably no darker than you. I mean, how many people did you want to kill on the way over here on the freeway? Oh, yeah. Right? And, and another thing, at the beginning of our podcast, you guys were talking about the dog. Yeah. And the, that's horrible. I love animals. I, you know, I totally yeah. love them. And if I see somebody. But I also realized, you know, I, I'm a follower of uh, politics and the law. Do you know they just passed a law in California? That seven can, years. Roadkill. No. Think, oh, you can road pick kill. up roadkill. Road I thought I think, it was seven years uh, for uh, animal cruelty. That too. So yeah. it's, it, but here on one hand, you can now pick up roadkill and eat it. Eat and it. on the <laughs> other hand, if you beat up the animal before you kill it and eat it, it's seven years. It's very strange, right. but I'm definitely an advocate. But you're of, free of drugs and alcohol and you're happy. You're a happy man. So I'm trying to get my Or happier, I should say. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, listen. Um, As we go down the fucking toilet in this godforsaken hellhole uh, administration we're suffering under these monstrous things happening it's amazing that you're still do you want to get really on the up and up <laughs> listen this is, this is funny but it's not funny so this is real but if you can get real real about it um i worked for a luxury website for a while it was one of the number one luxury websites in the world and i worked for that prior to my last experience in getting clean I abused this fucking company and this boss like a <laughs> like a fucking you know like a cheap prostitute which i've <laughs> met many of but at any rate so um i got a good piece of money i did a huge deal with one of the major car manufacturers of germany hundreds of thousands of dollars with the large advertising agency and cashed out and the guy at this agency was kind of fucking done with me and i literally the long and short of it is i went and i made the decision in like like whatever just to, I guess it was 2000, 2009 that paying for an apartment and paying for insurance and, and all this stuff was really eating into my fucking drugs <laughs> and I made a conscious decision fuck rent to 
go and just live on the streets because Did you I really? had wow. because I had disability payments. I had money coming in from annuity, and I had this big lump sum. And I made the decision. This is where my drugs had taken me, and my drug that. Just rent was just way too much fucking money when I could be putting all that into drugs and, and, and getting high and partying and, you know, doing my thing. And it was during that experience. So I guess I at one point, as I say, wow. is it like what I discovered during my journey of doing some living on the streets as a quote-unquote homeless guy. Of course, I was a little higher level homeless because I had a little more funding sure. coming in, right? But what I discovered was really strange and, you know, maybe topical is that about one third of the people that I ran into were just fucking stupid. They just couldn't. You could give them a pack of money in an apartment. They couldn't. They would fuck the thing up in a month. The other third were severely mentally ill. They were getting Jesus messages and they thought they were the fucking pope and and, you know, whatever they Hare Krishna, whatever. They were, they were, and the, then the rest were maybe my, let's do quarter, quarter, quarter. And the rest were just fucking drug addicts. Wow. And once you fixed, once you addressed the two things, right? I mean, and, and when I say the stupid, I mean, I'm probably wrong, but I mean, some people just had bad, a bad thing. And once you they had no tools to make decisions. They had no tools. Or, and once you're down, you think about this. If you're on the street and you're homeless, if you ever look at homeless, because I, I have both. I have good and evil in me. I'll walk by a homeless guy and I'll think, fuck you, you just want to get a bag. And the other time I think, oh my God, I know how hard it is for you just to shave. Just to shave today. If you needed to shave. I was going to ask you what a typical day for you was. Oh, it was, ins- oh, it was insane. I would sleep in a car, hide in a side street, or I'm sleeping in a car. Then I'd go, I'd go to a, a, a public bathroom that I knew of and kind of do the sponge bath and shave or whatever. Then I'd go out and I'd call my connection uh. <laughs> I would, then i'd call my connection i'd get high and then i'd call uh. the connection again then i'd get high again then i would go eat something usually something cheap then i'd get some and it was just a repeat and oh, rinse no. repeat but you had a car so you were sleeping in the car yeah, i had a car oh, i just geez. chose not to register it for a year and yeah. you know it was just it was crazy man but but you, crazy. you must have been scared the entire time i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't do you know what's really what funny was your weapon of defense in the car oh we're not going to go there but i am my own weapon of defense okay. uh but what i will say is this is that um, what you, you I'm going to really get really real here. Okay. Because I've been totally fake this whole time. <laughs> Who the hell yeah. is, who's John Agar? Never heard of this motherfucker. <laughs> um, the fear that I had felt my whole life of living in a home, of paying rent, of keeping a good career and a job. That was my fear. When I had none of that anymore and I was able to survive on the street, I became fearless. I lost all my fear. Wow. I lost all my fear because the worst thing I could fucking imagine was not having, you know, a home, a bed, a TV. And when I threw all that shit away and went over, and by choice, it wasn't like, oh my God, literally something freed me up. Mm. Then as time went on, I realized how fucked up it was. <laughs> right. And I, but, and, and I just realized how insane the fucking habit trail, the rabbit, the, right. the yeah. merry-go-round right. of my drug use. And it was, and it was so obvious. Listen, anybody that's addicted severely to opiates, it's no joke. Look, cocaine, 
methamphetamine, alcohol. Well, alcohol could pretty much kill you too. But you could pretty much get off. You know, you just need to detox and get away from them. Then there's the mental mind fuck of it. But literally, heroin, you're literally physically sick. Right. Opium, you're you're physically sick. You know, opiates, oxycontin, all that shit. And when you have that happen, when you realize that, hey, I'll tell you, I was working for a very large uh, external hard drive manufacturer in Beverly Hills, Robertson Boulevard. I've got an office right there overlooking Beverly Hills, and I'm doing, I'm doing, I guess I'm smoking heroin every day. And one day I wake up, I don't have any heroin. And I've been introduced to this stuff kind of innocuously. One day I woke up, and I didn't have any. And I, at the time, I was calling it opium. I guess that takes away the sting. Yeah. I didn't have it, so I, I called in sick. No big deal. I got sick time. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to sit here at home feeling like shit today. I might as well call the opium guy and get some opium balls and smoke them while I'm at home. This can't hurt me. And I called, and I got them. I went and picked them up. You've probably seen it, Chasing the Dragon, right? I get some, get some heroin. I get home. I'm smoking it. The instant I take a hit of the shit, I feel great i could conquer the world that time my eyes caught my own eyes in the mirror and i realized you are an addict and that's when things started to but i had like as this is prior to my job with the luxury company and this is prior so you still have some insane decision making but it's really all based it's very selfish it's based on like i don't really give a fuck like you know, I say when I was using, I wouldn't piss in your ass if your fucking guts were on fire, right? <laughs> now I would gladly put out your fire, and I right. care. So you I will care. piss on my ass now? Pretty much. Okay. I, one thing I'm getting, actually, one thing I'm not hearing in a very interesting way is that as much shit as you did, you're owning up to your shit. You're, you never once said you were a victim of anything. <laughs> so that, that's in some way, I mean, that's... It's actually very, yes, sir, you are very correct. strong. Well, you're not a victim, and you're not playing the victim. At least, whatever shit you went through, you're owning it, and you, you know, you know that all the decisions are yours, which is a pretty amazing mindset. Even though you're in that drug-infused stupor, you never played the victim, which is pretty interesting. Well, thanks. I'm now. I appreciate that. Listen, we are all the product of our experiences up until this point. Now, today. And, you know, obviously there are some things called luck. There are some things called preparation. You know, what do they say? I think, what is, what is the old saying? It's like, luck is where presentation and preparation or whatever meets propagation. What, I, I forget what it is. Prostitution. It prostitution, which is, I'm a firm advocate and believe that prostitution should be legal everywhere. But at any rate, it already is technically, but... No, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I digress. My friends, no, look, some of my friends, I told you like the game, one of my friends, we have a... Uh, they, they, they think I'm fucking hilarious, which I have no idea why. But we actually named our clan. We have a gaming clan, and it's called Hookers and Blow, but in Latin. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but in Latin. So? And like, they, get a, they get a kick out of it. Like I say, look, I... <coughs> excuse me. I wouldn't change anything that's happened to me, although... You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I wish I wish I could have done it earlier and changed earlier, but I didn't, so I didn't. But you're so still a young guy. It. You're only fifty five years old. You yeah, got a lot true. of life ahead of you to do a lot, whatever you want. We're not talking about the daughter, but are we allowed? Is there a wife? No, I'm divorced. Okay, but no, there's it. a but. But my but actually, her name is Laura, and uh, I love her to death. We are closer now than when we were married. And oh, good. Yeah, that's it. I mean, what can I say? I 
you know. Do you Listen, live alone? Yeah, well, I live alone. I rent my, I rent my, I have a two-bedroom apartment. I okay. rent the other room out to a lovely young man who okay. is a USC PhD grad student okay. in computer science. Okay. And, and where are you working, if you can I, say? I, I, yeah, sure. I work for a major digital advertising agency. Oh, cool. I formerly worked with the, um, well, here, my, my, my trail of... Um, when I was getting clean and sober in a treatment center, I actually applied for a position. This is after I had worked for the luxury company, which was major advertising. And you applied in the treatment center? While I was living in a treatment center in Koreatown, I applied for a job at an ad agency in San Pedro, which turned out to be Walker & Walker Advertising, where I was hired by 1-800-THE-LAW-2 in Los <laughs> Defensores, <laughs> where I was over excelled at what I did I was excellent I was there for four months and what happened is uh, the Marianne Walker the one that's on the TV at the time was trying to open up Nevada and Chicago and she hired two people to do it and at the time they decided we're not going to do it like they're not going to do that so we got like laid off which was fine. That was the first. I was still living in a treatment center, but I was taking a bus every day from Koreatown to San Pedro and back every day. Insane. That is insane. So I get an incredible review from them. The, the VP and everybody writes up, this guy's fucking amazing. The only reason he left is because we just were not doing this other project. And so while I'm in this treatment center, I think, well, you know, maybe I'll try getting a sales job as I'm good at sales. So I work at a... At a so I... Uh, just apply for a job for at the LA Times. I didn't realize what it was. It just said, "Hey, we're looking for outside reps." Blah blah blah. You know, yada yada. And I and I apply. And you know, obviously, this is Tribune Corporation at the time. Tribune Media was the second largest media company in the world at the time. And the guy calls me back, and I go down there and I interview with them. I'm at the table with the general manager, the vice president, and everything. And they say, great, listen, we're going to have you come in. We're going to have you in an outside position. You need to drive your car. And I, I go, oh, hey, uh, I'm sorry. I don't drive. <laughs> I don't have a car. So it's too bad, blah, blah, blah. They go, really? I go, yeah. You know, I go, this is great. I would love to work here. You guys are fantastic. You know, I really blah, blah, blah. I leave. And the next day, I get another call. And it's the... The thing, and I had to buy a suit for this. Never, I didn't even have a suit. I was living in a treatment center and whatever. I, I get a call back, and it's the HR guy and Scott, and he says, "Hey, can you come back in?" I'm thinking, "What the fuck did I leave that little handkerchief bullshit out of the suit there, <laughs> or something like? What did I do?" They call me back. They like me so much that they actually had a position open in their in their corporate accounts division, and it, they said, "Look, uh, would you be interested? Would you consider taking this?" And I said, yeah, I'd consider it. You know, they go, well, look, we're going to have an interview with the manager tomorrow. I go, okay. So I go back and interview with the manager. I said, yeah, I'd consider it. I go there, and I'm, like, talking to him. And he's, his name is Sean. We're good friends to this day. He's no longer there. But he's describing the job to me. And I'm thinking to myself, excuse me, sir, you know, excuse me. Why aren't we talking about what I bring to the table and who I am? He goes, oh, uh, we're just trying to see if you'll take this job because the, the VP said to hire you, like said to hire you. Wow. And I'm thinking, man, I live in a treatment center. <laughs> I've got mass fucking shit on my record. Bad credit. Just, I mean, I had credit, like 100 credit score, negative. It was horrible. And they, I get this job. I work at fucking times of about three years, and uh, I was the quarterly earner. Wow. A team of 250. I was one of the top earners. That's fantastic. And, and then, are you thinking to yourself, wow, look how far I've come. 
you know, look where I've got, where I was in this treatment center. Now you're, you know, going up, not nothing the ladder, but you're just at a better place without part of the Your personality has to get you everywhere. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, you're a good people it's unusual, but was that you're the really first good with people? Yeah. You're, you're interesting. And you're sure of yourself. Snora. Do you know what it was? Well, that's funny you say that. It's like, but sure it's also a yourself. combination of being real and a little bit of bullshit. You know how to bullshit pretty well? well you have to. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to make it colorful and entertaining, I guess, to yeah. some extent. But I guess what's really funny when you say that, yes, when I'm sharing with you two and I'm, you know, you're my old friend and I've just met you and you're a fucking voiceover guy selling potato chips. No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, which is amazing. I'm like, oh my god! I listen. I told you, I have a friend that was a voiceover guy. I know what it entails. It's an amazing career. You guys are artistic. So when I look at what happened and how it happened, I guess, I, I, I guess, yeah, like it's a pretty much a miracle. It's like I went from fucking living in a car doing dope every day to getting in a treatment center to working for a. a a corporation like Los Angeles Times. I mean, that's, that's a huge freaking name. It's an American. Right. It's an institution. Here I was. I'm still a hard copy subscriber to the Times. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's amazing. That's yeah. I've sold. You're one of the ads. ten left. So and here I was selling ads and pages and you know I'd get it home and I open the paper and these are my clients and blah blah blah. So yeah, it was amazing. But I also felt like um, humbled. Like I felt humbled. I felt. There was like it wasn't me that did. there was something else at play. Oh, and interesting. I, and I yeah, and I also I mean say not high, that, higher power stuff in a way or maybe you could say that or, or just I don't know. But it, it, I I'm not gonna sit, listen. You know, doesn't God deserve a television set? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't God deserve a Ferrari? I mean, you know, I I don't know. I I can't equate it. I could just say that it wasn't me. Like, do you feel good about it? Like, I think it's amazing. Like, yeah, I look at it from. Outside, it was fucking crazy. It was amazing. I get this job at Walker Advertising. I want to handle the law, too. I think this is great. I'm doing lots of sales with attorneys, making great money. All of a sudden, I was able to bank 32000 bucks in four months. Nice. Yeah. From living and I'm in a sorry, treatment by center. now you have a car again, right? Because you were sleeping in your car. Well, then no, you went to the interview. You didn't have a car. Well, I sold the car when I went into recovery right. for cigarettes. So, I needed oh, cigarettes. So I'm how are you getting around town? Oh, I was bussing it. It was amazing. Oh. It was insane. R- RTD? RT Metro oh Metro it was a fu- it was a goddamn gas I was on the fucking you know on the subway <laughs> and just in the mix and and here listen all my life drugs and no drugs and the whole thing I always had good cars with Corvettes and Z's and just <laughs> always had great cars and all of a sudden when I did this dive I was living at a Blazer I bought the Blazer because I didn't want to I needed something to sleep in I didn't want to be cramped into a freaking yeah, in a Honda so I sold the Blazer because of course I no but I did the whole trip that was part of my part of my recovery was literally living on the ground like living just unwatched like here I was like I'd be t- and and as part of as part of my thing with the treatment center I ended up being part of uh, like residential staff there right. and helping a lot of people and where I was the time was called the Mary Lynn Foundation. Had a lot of people literally right off of Skid Row, like right. right off of Skid Row. All types, all classes, races, everything. And I really got to just really meet everybody. And I remember going everywhere. I mean, we would go down. I remember going down to, to Watts and being shocked that the shopping center was covered with barbs, you know, like arm, <laughs> like steel fences. But I was in there. Like, I was taken mass transit it was a very freeing experience it was a very interesting experience you know what the bottom line of all of this it's quite an amazing journey but you actually are 
it's a story of hope. It really is. If, any, if anyone's listening who is down or drug addicts or knows someone, it sh- shows what you can become. You're, you're a hopeful guy. You've come out of it to be uh, a functional, happy person. And that's actually the, the, the real message. And this message is just like that. I used to be a hopeless dope addict, and now I'm a dopeless hope addict. <laughs> that's beautiful. Actually. That's really nice. Well, that's true, and that's what I'm getting from all of but this. I, well, I appreciate it. Listen, you know, it's, it's not a downer story. It's actually an uplifting story. I appreciate it. I didn't want to talk and about it a you. lot, but you're my friends, and I realize that you know, if anything— I think you should be getting paid to be a consultant for film and TV about life on the streets. That's, that's, that's a great idea. Well, there you go. Absolutely. You, you could be a complete... Because we have to cram all this shit in for one hour, but you, I bet you, if we got down and dirty, no microphones, you really let it rip. You I could be a great would, public speaker. You would put us right there in the streets. Max, I got some fucking Laura Scudder's potato chips in the truck of my car. I want you to sign them before we leave. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Scudder's. Laura Scudder's. No, no. You, you mean Pringles. Laura pring- Scudder's. You mean Pringles. No. Oh, no okay. Pringles. You can't have that. So no, how did you two clowns true. eventually reunite? We... Oh, this is good. And I'll let Lorenzo take that over. Right. This is and fascinating. Maybe we'll end with this. So I just want to say, John, you're, you, you, not only is it an amazing story, you tell your story really great. You know, you're a great storyteller. I hope we so. We took a 30-year break from being with each other Jesus. and not doing drugs. And <laughs> well, our, you, you weren't doing I, I was. That's true. I was, we didn't do drugs together. I took up your slack. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I took I, up all of your slack. Yes. No worries. It's true. Um uh, I mentioned earlier we met because we have a mutual friend named Alan. Alan has a, had a little sister named Ari. Ari grew up, and Ari just had a 50th birthday party where she invited me and she invited John oh. to go, and we met at her at a party, party. Wow. just a few months ago. At the sports Did you know he was coming? The, I did know he was coming, wow. and we haven't seen each other for 30 years. Were you and, nervous to see him again? Not at all. I just didn't know... What it was going to be? <laughs> like, I don't ever want to see people. I was from open the past to whatever coming. John would become. I didn't know a lot of the backstory because when I left and went to go do music and went to college, you know, there was no cell phones and internet, so we just didn't. We just kind of much easier to fall completely out of touch. We sort of fell completely out of touch. It was never personal, right? But I'm telling you, the moment he walked in the door and we saw each other. It was like 30 years had not passed. Yeah. And then we had the best night together, shooting the shit and reliving everything <laughs> and getting to know this dude. And that's when I said, man, I got a podcast. Like the next day he called. And it's like, yeah. I, I got to have you in here. You have to meet Max. You're awesome. And, uh, and we just had an amazing night together and kind of rekindled. So how and did thank you God catch both up on life. each other's lives? In the similar way that we we're really, doing here? I got to say something, Max. We really didn't. In other words, a lot of what Lorenzo's hearing right now and you... Is true? It's like the first time he's ever heard any of my stuff. And, yeah. re- and I didn't know... Listen, I didn't know what I was going to say here. Look, wow. I did a little background research on you. Uh-huh. I did a little, you know, a little uh-huh. bit on the, on the podcast. Right. I've heard you guys just shooting the shit. I didn't believe me. Part of me, remember, here's if you remember, recovering addict. Part of me wants this whole fucking world to start to revolve around me. Right. Part of me. Mm-hmm. The other part of me doesn't want any of that. Wants right, just right. everything. So right. I'm still in that moment. So 
it is what it is. I just wanted to come here and just be real. And, you know, I can pretty much say safely that I haven't uh, fronted anybody out who's alive. <laughs> Everybody's safe. <laughs> and all the we names just have talked been changed about, to protect the and innocent. And if it's of interest to people, great. But I could say that, like I said, you know, yeah. uh, that was a huge component of my life. During yeah. that time, I did some pretty fucking amazing things and had some great accomplishments, but with some great pitfalls. But, you know, I'm very happy. I'm really happy about who I've become and where I am. And it's like at 55, I'm growing up again. Beautiful. John, that is a great place to end. Well, you, wait a second. I have oh, one more question. Oh, go, oh, go ahead. Shit. I have 8,000 more questions. We could do a part two. But uh, um, John Sr.'s residuals and pension, who's been getting that? <laughs> Gave that to my brother. <laughs> Your brother. Who's getting the money, John? And I gave it to my brother. Okay. But oh. remember, a lot of the stuff that he did was pre nineteen sixty four. Right. Right. And the other okay. stuff that he did, there's some right, money right, on it. Right. But my brother had a stroke a while back. He's oh. doing really good. Good. He's doing really well. But you know, his health was, and my my brother was there when I was in the midst of my freaking chaos, yeah. on and off. And he was always there for me. And I, you know, can say that. Uh, you know, we've left some things from the estate and so on. And I think that we've been very equitable with everything. And, and in that sense, you know, I imagine he'll pass it to me if he ever leaves us. But it, it's, he's got it. Right, I, I have Zach's pe- been taken care of. <laughs> Being <laughs> on top of it. I have. I, like I say, I, I, you know, it's really funny because for the first time about, a, about six months ago, I had a fan group of the creature, the Black Lagoon, a guy uh, called the Kilted Creature. He's got a Facebook page reached out to me and did a podcast where I was screened. They interviewed me about my father and his oh, that's career. Great. And they put me on a screen in a, in a theater in Florida. Like, what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you could sit in your fucking house <laughs> and just sit in NoHo and just shoot the shit here on the phone. No traffic. So no crying about dogs. A little different if I have to fly to Florida. <laughs> Plus, it's fucking Florida. But at any rate, um, yeah, and that was cool. But, yeah, you know, anytime, wow. like... I love talking about my dad, wow. but I don't live off talk. Like no, I don't no. like. Right. You know what I mean? It's not like, hey, look at this. No, this right was at. a nice balance. We covered dad, but then we got deep into your shit. Exactly. I still want more, but whatever. Well, there how, there how could be more. You know, there can be uh, another. Probably three weeks. Uh, yeah, point. it's about uh, seventeen hours at this point. Oh yeah, all right, all right. I get it. I'll, <laughs> hey, I'll gladly come back and talk about anything. You no, know, we could time. do a part two, not necessarily today, but we'll have you back. Anytime. There's going to be more to the John Agar, more layers to come. He, he can just sit in and, and we'll talk about all kinds of things. You could be a second co-host. I, I, totally. I, I want uh, Max to call his agent because I, I want to be the homeless consultant or at least a, a beauty pageant uh, judge. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> Anything. Or, or like, I'd like to be like, uh, I, I, I tr- I'd love to be the Michelin man. I look like him. But, you know, like I, <laughs> any voiceover work here, fuck it. I'll do it. Mascot know? work is right. good work. Hey. Big back tattoo. That's <laughs> forbidden zone. <laughs> John, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, dude, you're, you're awesome. awesome. Thank you, guys. Final for thoughts, me. Max? No, he's he's totally great, and I I'm I'm happy. This wine was very good. I, I like. I got to tell you, with all due respect to Lorenzo, so many of his friends I find insufferable. So to find one who's actually interesting and edgy and and down and dirty and more like me is like, oh, what a relief. I mean, do you see who he hangs out with? Have you hung out with him enough since you reunited? No. no. There's Tunuku and Tutaka, and it's just like all of these. You're going to love Tutaka, by the way. Yeah. No. Yeah, we love I love Tutaka. We get together with Sprizzo. Sprizzo is wonderful. Have you met him? Oh, he is Sprizzo. I mean, it's just like you, you want to die. I'm a <laughs> <not> <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts, John? 
Hey, the thought is, this has been a pleasure, man. It's been great hanging out with you guys. I had no idea what to expect. Um, thank you. I mean, it, it was fun. I mean, therapeutic, too. We realize I've never paid for therapy. I just get therapy when I just spill my shit out anyway. So as long anybody, as you leave as a better yeah, person, it's all worth it, There's got to be some man. catharsis well, involved yeah. in all of your life. Well, Listen. you're very honest, and uh, thanks for sharing your Stay life with honest. us. Stay man. Thanks. It's been fun. Definitely. That's great. Well, everybody, as usual... Thanks for listening. Have a beautiful Thanksgiving. Have a good Thanksgiving. We'll be back for episode 28 whenever we decide to do whenever so. Whenever we decide. His little <laughs> yes. family thing, as we like to refer to it, is thank you to giving it. Yeah. That's Thanks Italian. for listening. Frabados. I gotta get a guinho. See you next time. <laughs>